together. Let me uh, just start out by saying thank you for your patience in regards to the parking. Um, we found out just today that not only is another church using the parking lot, but now they've got a, a carnival right down the street that's also using our parking. So thank you for taking the extra time to park your car and to be here. I hope and pray that already you have been encouraged by being here. I also want to say a big thank you to all of the brothers and sisters who help get here early, two hours before. They set up the sound. They set up the monitors. They set up the speakers, the microphones. And then they stay later to tear everything down. All of this is done behind the scenes, so everything's ready when we get here. And we do have a great group of brothers and sisters who help us in our worship service. We're very blessed here, aren't we? And it is great to be here. And we realize that there are a number of people who aren't here today of our number because it's a holiday. It's kind of the last holiday of the summer. And so we do have people that are out, but uh, it is great to be together today. The title of my message is Band of Hope. How many of us in here need more hope? How many of us in here think we can survive without hope? I'm sure we have some couples in this room here today that have lost hope that their marriage can really be something special. They've resigned themselves to a hopeless relationship. I'm sure there's some students in here who have lost hope that they will ever hold in their hands that college degree. You know who I'm talking about. You've been on the 10-year plan. I'm sure that there are some of you that have lost hope that your family will ever be united again. There are parents who are struggling to have hope that their children who have wandered away from the Lord will ever, ever, ever come back. Or will ever become Christians. Satan is a specialist at attacking our hope. I cannot ever recall preaching a sermon on hope in my 41 years as a minister. I'm sure I've preached around hope, but I cannot ever recall preaching a sermon on hope. But God has really put this on my heart this morning. I've been thinking about hope. I've been praying for hope. I've been battling for hope. I've been studying God's word about hope. And I've become so convinced of the essentiality of hope in our world and in our church. Without hope, we give up on this life and we plunge into deeper depression. So far, sometimes we even go so far as to commit suicide. Without hope, our heart hardens. Without hope, our vision is diminished and eventually fades. And have you ever noticed this? 
that the older we get, the harder it is to have hope. In Psalm 71, verse 9, we read this passage. Okay, I'll turn it on and then maybe it'll work. Technology is fantastic when it works. There you go. It says, and listen to these words in Psalm 71, verse 9 through 9 uh, and 10. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. And then look at verse 14. As for me, I will always have what? Hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous deeds, of your saving acts all day long. Though I know not how to relate them all, I will come and I will proclaim your mighty acts, sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteous deeds, yours alone, since my youth. God, you have taught me. And to this day, I declare your marvelous deeds, even when I am old and gray. Do not forsake me, my God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. This is very interesting here in this psalm, in this particular passage. This psalmist obviously is is older. And he says, God, don't forsake me. I want to focus on the mighty things that you have done. I want to keep those that dream alive. I want to keep that hope alive in me until I declare your power to the next generation. Mom and dad, I know that you have a dream of your sons and daughters becoming children of God. I think it's important for all of us to see that God has really called all of us to be ambassadors of hope. And the only way that we're going to impact our children for God is that we maintain that hopefulness in our hearts. You know, there's an amazing power of hope in Romans chapter five, verses three. And five. I'm going to have to. He says, we are full of joy, even when we suffer. We know that our suffering gives us the strength to go on. The strength to go on produces what? Character. And character produces hope. And hope will never let us what? And hope will never let us down. God has poured his love into our hearts. He did it through the Holy Spirit, whom he has given to us. Why do you think Paul says, and hope will never let us down? Why do you think he said that? Because there are so many things, so many people and so many situations that let us down. And that's why he says we need hope. Our spouses may let us down. I don't care whether you've been married 
Just a couple of months, a couple of years, a couple of decades or many decades. Your spouse is going to let you down. Your children are going to let you down. Your parents are going to let you down. Your friends, your spiritual leaders, your discipleship partners. We can even let ourselves down. Well, how can I have this hope? When I have all of these people in all of these situations letting me down. How can I have this hope that you're talking about here? Well, let's turn to Romans 4, verse 18. Did you get it to work? He says, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Now, notice what he says. Against all hope, Abraham, what? In hope, believed. And so became the father of many nations. If you go to the next slide uh, in Romans chapter 4, verse 18, in the reader's version of the New International, here's, here's how it says. Here's how it's worded. When there was no reason for hope, Abraham believed because he had hope. I want you to think about that for a moment. He said, when there was absolutely no reason for hope, Abraham believed because he had hope. You remember the story of Abraham and Sarah and how God promised them that, that, that they were going to have many, they were going to have many, many descendants. In fact, the earth was going to be populated with their descendants. There was only one problem. Abraham was 75 years old, had no children. He was 75 years old, and his wife was no spring chicken either. She was 65 years old. Do you think when, when, when God told Abraham, hey, you're going to have many descendants, you think Abraham had any doubt at that moment? We know Sarah did because she laughed. She laughed. She denied laughing, but... The angel said, no, you did laugh. I would call that a laugh of doubt. You go, well, OK, that stretches it. Seventy five, sixty five. Haven't heard of it, but not impossible. There was only one thing. It didn't happen right then. I mean, Abraham could have said, Sarah, are you up for it? OK, God says that I'm up for it. And uh, but well, what happened? Nothing. Did it happen when Abraham was 80 and she was 70? No, no kids. What about when Abraham was a ripe old 90 and Sarah was 80? Did it happen then? Nope, nope. It didn't happen then either. What about when he was 98 and she was 88? Nope, didn't happen then either. Do you think they struggled with any doubt? It says when there was no reason for hope. Abraham believed because he had hope. You know, I love this uh, passage in uh, the next slide. Romans four seventeen through 18. Here's how, I, here's how he puts it in the uh, Message Bible. We call Abraham father. Not because he got God's attention by living like a saint, but because God made something out of Abraham when he was a nobody. 
Isn't that what we've always read in Scripture? God saying to Abraham, I set you up as a father of many peoples. Abraham was first named father and then became a father because he dared to trust God to do what only God could do. Raise the dead to life with a word, make something out of nothing when everything was hopeless. Abraham believed anyway, deciding to live not on the basis of what he saw he couldn't do, but on what God said he would do. And so he was made father of a multitude of peoples. God himself said to him, you're going to have a big family, Abraham. Isn't that awesome? How do I get this hope when there's no reason to hope? Next slide. Number one, we focus on God. We focus on God, not on ourselves. Like Abraham and Sarah, it can't be about what you can do. Or what you can't do. Or even what others can or can't do. Or what others say you can or can't do. It has to be on what God can do. That's what it comes down to. In Isaiah 40, verse 31, he says it like this. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. What does he say here? God has this amazing capacity that when we focus on him, he will renew our strength. No matter how tired, no matter how fatigued, no matter how worn out we are, God will give us wings like eagles. And he will give us strength to get back up again. You see, we've got to focus on God, not on ourselves. In addition to that, we've got to focus on God, not on our situation. You know, a lot of us go, well, I, I, I uh, okay, I have hope, but I want to know how God's going to do it. it. It can't be about you knowing how God is going to do it. See, I'm, some, I'm, I'm sure some people would say, okay, Abraham, yeah, he could believe he's 99, she was 90, uh, 88, 89, and then at 190, they had, they had Isaac. That picture is just blows my mind. A 90 year old woman walking around pregnant. I don't care what kind of shape she was in. It probably wasn't. I mean, it was beautiful to Abraham, but probably to nobody else. It can't be about you knowing how God is going to work. Your hope can't be resting on your insight, your situation, and you figuring it all out. I'm so proud of the singles in the coastal L.A. region. And I want to just say this, how they handled Mark and Michelle's leave of absence. They were mature. They focused on God, not on their situation. They focused on God and many stepped up and they had a spirit of hope. That God is going to work. And he did work. And I commend you for that. You know, the Westside Church family is in need of an evangelist and a women's ministry leader right now. These are times of uncertainty. We've been in the middle of the search. 
We've had other emotional ups and downs. And it would be so easy to be and feel hopeless. And what is Satan desire? He wants us to be hopeless. Anyone tempted to be hopeless? I have been. I mean, the hopeless demons have been bombarding me. And what are they trying to get me to do? Focus on the situation, not on God. We have this, uh, Rob and I have this little toy Yorkshire Terrier. And, um, and uh, about a week ago, she started scratching and itching. And uh, Robin says, I think she's got fleas. And uh, so we said, okay, we're going to go down to Petco and we're going to buy a flea collar. So we put this flea collar on her. She's not too happy about it. But the reality is, is the, what, is the, what is the collar there to do? Is it to keep the fleas from jumping on her? No, the fleas are going to jump on her. Only the, the flea collar, all it will do is keep them from camping out on her. You know, there have been some hopeless demons that have been jumping on me. I mean, I've been attacked by more hopeless demons this year than maybe any year in my life. I mean, Satan's been launching them like cruise missiles. And you know what? I cannot keep the hopeless demons from jumping on me. But I can keep them from camping out on me. How? By focusing on God. In Psalm 42, he says it like this. Why are you down in the dumps, dear soul? Why are you crying the blues? Fix my eyes on God. Soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. When my soul is in the dumps, I rehearse everything I know of you. You know, sometimes when we're in tough situations, we go, how in the world can you be happy with all this this trauma, all this trouble. Well, see, if you're if you're tied, if your hope is tied to the situation, you can't be. But you've got to focus. You've got to focus on God and you've got to focus on singing. You've got to focus on praising. That's why we come in here on Sundays and we sing and we sing praises to God because it gets our mind off ourselves and our situation and it gets our mind on God. And he says at the end of this passage in verse 11, fix my eyes on God. So he's talking to his soul and he says, soul, fix your eyes on God. He puts a sm- soon I'll be praising again. He puts a smile on my face. He's my God. Focus on God. Number one. Number two. Have focused thoughts of hope. In Philippians four, verse eight, there's a great passage here where he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So what, how would you classify all of these things, negative or positive? They're all positive, aren't they? He says you think of what's true, noble, right, pure, lovely and admirable. And I'm sure we all do this by in second nature, right? We just automatically go to that. That's our default setting, right? I like the way he puts it here in the Message Bible. He says, summing it up, 
Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Focus thoughts of hope. Where was Paul when he penned these words? He was in prison. Can you think of a more hopeless situation to be in than prison? Wouldn't be one of my top ten places to go and even spend the night, much less years. When I'm in the hopeless vortex, usually it's because my thoughts are very negative. I've been tempted with that this week. I've been tempted with it last week and the week before that. And when I get into this hopeless vortex, all I can think about are the failures, the disappointments of myself and other people. How easy is it to get on that negative train? I mean, you don't even have to deliberately step up into the train. You just are automatically on it. Somehow you wake up and I'm on this train. I don't know how I even got on this train, but I'm on this train. How easy it is to get off of that negative train. It depends. Are you going to focus your thoughts on hope? You're going to, are you going to have focused thoughts of hope? If I don't change my focus and look for the positive, there's no room for hope. Does that make sense? There was a man that approached. He saw this little league game, baseball game, being played one afternoon. And he, and he asked a boy in the dugout what the score was. And the boy said, 18 to nothing. We're behind. And the man said, boy, I bet you're discouraged. He said, why should I be discouraged? We haven't even got up to bat yet. You see, what did that young boy have that many times we don't have? He had focused thoughts of hope. He just said, man, those guys are in trouble when we get up to bats. You need number three, focused words of hope. It's not enough to have positive, hopeful thoughts. Our words need to be positive. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, there's a, there's a command there in this scripture. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You know, Paul says here that our words have tremendous power to give hope or to deplete it. Have you ever found yourself feeling more hopeless after a conversation with a well-meaning brother or sister? In our conversations, our conversations have tremendous power to either fill us with hope or deplete us of hope. Now, he says here in this passage, do not let any unwholesome talk come out. What does that imply? It implies that we have control over it. You mean I have control over what comes out of my mouth? I have control over the kinds of words that come out of my mouth? Yes. He says, don't let them. Now, sometimes we don't try. We don't control what we say and we just it just comes out. He says, don't let that happen. And then he says, what? Then he says, unwholesome talk. What is this unwholesome talk that Paul's referring to? Well, I don't have to go to. 
uh, a Greek lexicon to figure out what I'm awesome talk he's talking about because he actually defines it in the rest of the verse. He says, what is the definition of unwholesome? He, he says it. He says, only what is helpful for building others where up. Wholesome talk. Only what is helpful for building others up. If my talk is not benefiting those who listen, then it is unwholesome. If my conversations are not benefiting those I'm talking to, then it is unwholesome. And I'm not saying we intend that to happen. But that's why we've got to have focused words of hope. Number four, we've got to have hope partners. In Philippians 2, chapter, verses 19 and 20, Paul talks about two, two men in particular. While he was in prison, he talked about the reason. Because we read Philippians and we go, man, what? Is this guy on a drug or something? I mean, he's talking about being joyful always. He's talking about thinking positive thoughts, positive words. What, what, what's he on? He's full of the Spirit. He's focused on God. He's focusing his thoughts of hope and focused words of hope. But he also has hope partners. He has brothers around him that build up his hope. Paul had Timothy and Epaphroditus. How did Paul manage to stay so upbeat and hopeful? Because he focused on God, not himself. He focused on God, not his situation. He focused thoughts of words of, and thoughts and words of hope, and he had hope partners. You know, if you're going to grow, if you're going to have hope, you've got to surround yourself with people who will feed your hope, not deplete it. I, I just want to say this. If you have lost hope in your marriage... And I know that that all of us, as we are married a long time, and Robin and I have been married over 40 years now. And I like to tell you that every month of every one of those 40 years, 41 years, was just months of hope. We were just dripping with hope. It wasn't true. There were times where we we were hanging on by our, our fingernails. Robin, especially. So I know what it's like to to be tempted to lose hope in your marriage. Don't surround yourself with those who have given up on marriage. If you're if you're grasping and gasping for hope in your marriage, surround yourself with people who've been faithful and know how to get through the tough times. If you've lost hope on how you can overcome an addiction with drugs or pornography, don't hang out with those who are still chained to the drugs and the pornography. Be with those people who have overcome. If you've lost hope, you can live the Christian life faithfully. Hang with those who have refused to quit on Christ. And the world has figured this out. Alcohol Anonymous, Narcotic Anonymous, all these recovery groups. What did they say? Get around people who are just failing one time after another after. No, you get around people who are equally making every effort and are victorious. We need to surround ourselves with hope filled people. The church needs to be a beacon of hope. Sean Wooten, a group, uh, a good friend of mine in Kiev. Shared about a man who was ready to give up on his life. He decided to spend the last two weeks of his life taking drugs 
and then on his birthday, go down to the town square in Kiev, pour gasoline on his body and light himself to kill himself. He first got into the cab and asked the cab driver to take him to get drugs. Apparently, you can do that in Kiev. Cab drivers will just take you to get drugs. But fortunately, this particular cab driver pulled over and said, we need to pray. Then after the cab driver prayed, he said, it's your turn. And so the man prayed. And then after their prayers, the man said, take me home. He went outside later from his apartment after he got home. And he was immediately met by three brothers. They started to study the Bible with him. And two weeks later, instead of setting himself on fire, he was baptized into Christ and became your brother in Christ. You see, he surrounded himself with men of hope. Hope partners. We as brothers and sisters need to be beacons of hope to one another. There are times when I desperately need hope. Is that true of you too? You know, um, beginning of this past week, my dear brother, Tim Priestley, gave me a call on Tuesday afternoon. He says, how are you doing? And I go, honestly, I'm pretty discouraged. He said, do you want to hang out? And I go, sure. And so I went over there. We went on a prayer walk and spent some time in prayer. And then we, we went to a movie, World War Z. I know it's, uh, <laughs> it's not the most spiritual movie in the world. But it definitely took our mind off of discouraging things. I just want to say this. I appreciate Tim calling me. That meant a lot to me. That was like a, a drink of cool water. Don't ever underestimate the power of having partners of hope. And finally, we need enduring hope. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Remember before our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what our greatest challenge is, brothers and sisters? And those of you who are visiting with us, you know what our greatest challenge is? It's not to have hope. But it's to endure in hope. That's the greatest challenge that we have. All of us can have hope for a period of time. But we are called by God to be enduring in hope, to be patient in hope. How many of us recall the movie The Rookie? came out about 11 years ago with Dennis Quaid. You remember that? And uh, there's uh, a great scene in the movie. And it's about this coach. His name is Jim Morris. It's a true story. Who uh, actually got drafted uh, to be a pitcher. But uh, soon after... Uh, uh, coming with the major leagues, he, he, he messed up his arm. He had m- multiple surgeries. He got discouraged and he ended up co- uh, coaching a high school baseball team. And, uh, the, the high school baseball team, he was trying to inspire them and everything. And, and he would still pitch every now and then. And, and of course, the guys, they were saying, Coach, you need to try out. You need to try out. And, you know, he just kept ignoring them, thinking this is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. And so, he made a deal with them to, to, to inspire them to win the district championship. He said, okay, if you will win the district championship, then I will try out with the major leagues again. And so they won the district championship. 
And now the spotlight went from the team to him. And the night before he's supposed to go, he starts reflecting and start having all of these doubt demons attacking him. And there's a scene in it that I want to show you right now where he is going through this process of kind of looking for a sign, looking for a reason to have hope. Let's watch it together. He was looking for a sign. And so he said, okay, I've got this radar thing set up. I don't think I got the the speed to pitch. So I'm going to give it a try, though. And if he had just had enduring hope after he made that pitch, you see, when he first made that pitch, it looked like 76 miles an hour, not exactly major league pitching material. But he's like a lot of us. We quickly get discouraged. We quickly drop our heads and we quickly say, there's no use. I give up. And so he walks by the radar thing. And of course, you know, if he just waited 15 more seconds. You'd have seen it wasn't 76, it was 96 miles an hour. Now, there is a, the story doesn't end there. The next day, he does end up going anyway. Uh, through encouragement of others, he ends up going. He tries out for the major league, and the 12 pitches that he pitches at the major league, uh, at the major league tryouts, averages 98 miles an hour. He goes and gets accepted. On the Major League Baseball, and he goes to play for the Major Leagues until his arm gives out again. You know, brothers and sisters, I think that's a lot like us. We can be tempted like Coach Morris to quickly survey and say it's hopeless. To quickly survey and just give up hope. Hope gives new life to marriages. Hope gives new life to families. Hope gives new life to churches. Hope gives new life to health. You know, 50 years ago, this past week, Martin Luther King stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial to give one of the greatest speeches that has ever been spoken by a man. I have a dream. He spoke it in front of 250,000 people. And when he spoke that message, I have a dream, it was in 1963. It was a message of hope. And in that message, there's a line in that message where he says this. With this faith, we will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. Just as those 250,000 souls left that speech with greater hope, our God is wanting all of us to go out of here filled with hope. Regardless of your situation, regardless of your failures, regardless of how things have been, he wants you to go out in hope. He wants you to believe what he says here, what Paul says here in this passage 
In, in, uh, in the final passage here in Matthew, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, I'll read it to you. May the God of hope fill you all with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the Holy Spirit. Don't think you won't get attacked by hopeless demons. Hopeless demons of can't change or nothing's going to change. They're right out there waiting for you right now. Hopeless demons of depression, hopeless demons of resignation, hopeless demons of divorce, hopeless demons of cynicism. But I want to call on everybody here this morning to have a band of hope, just like we had to put a flea collar on our dog to keep the de- to keep the fleas from camping out on her. I want to call all of us to wear a band of hope. And I want us to have this hope collar and, and, and on this on this collar. It says, focus on God. Focused thoughts, focused words, hope partners, enduring hope. And if we will wear this band, and no, I don't have a band to give you on the way out. (laughs) This isn't a physical band that I'm talking about because a physical band is not going to deal with your demons. It's going to be God who's going to deal with your demons. It's going to be thoughts of hope and words of hope and your hope partners and your just determination. You're not going to quit. You're not going to give up. You're going to endure in hope so that we all can be a band of brothers and sisters, bands of hope. Thank you very much.